0: How many of that's your testimony, you want to be broken and spilled out for him? I know that's something that I would love to be. Now, today I want to illustrate the message today with a physical illustration, but I need everybody's participation. How many are you ready? Say, Pastor, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm all the kids. All the kids, you ready to participate? All right, so I need you to put on your imagination, okay? So imagine with me, all you adults, imagine with me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to illustrate this illustration with a box, all right? Just a plain old everyday box. And I want you to imagine with me now that every single person in the room has a box like this, all right? But it's not an ordinary box, it's a special box, all right? So how many are imagining in your mind you have a box? Okay, good. Now, in your box, I want you to think about the most important, the most precious, the most valuable, the most expensive, the most, uh, uh, the, the things in your life that are most precious to you. And I want you to put them in your box, all right? So so imagine you have a box and and you're going to put everything in your life that means the most to you. So maybe some of you, that's your baseball card collection. Does anybody collect baseball cards or football cards, all right? Nobody, all right? So that was a battle. Uh, Maybe it's your guns. Put your guns in there, amen? Uh, Maybe it's it's your home. Maybe it's your car. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your family. Uh, But it's a magic box, so anything can fit in there. And I want you to take all the precious things in your life. All right? So are you with me? You're using your imagination now? Get all of your precious things, and I want you to place them in your box and put them inside there. And then I want you to take that box, and we're going to reference this box several times throughout the message, all of the things in our life that are the most precious to us. I think about these fires that are happening, and I think about having your home threatened, <clears throat> and I think about... These people that, uh, you know, they, they get evacuation notices and any moment the fire could come in and destroy your home. Imagine with me that you get noticed that the fire is coming and you have 30 minutes to get out of your house. What would you put in your box? Maybe pho- photo albums, maybe, uh, maybe a, a gift that someone gave to you, maybe that wad of cash under your mattress that none of us have, Amen. But what would you grab? What would you put in your box? What would be the most valuable things to you? I want you to imagine with me, you have a box, and you're going to put everything precious to you in your box. So how many are with me? you got your box and everything's in there. All right? Pretty much All right. anybody? Anybody? OK, good. M- most of you. All right. so I want you to take that box, and we're going to set it down right there, and we're going to come back to that, that box. Now I'm going to ask you a question today, and it's really the essence. Of the message, And it's a question I asked myself as I was preparing this message. What if God came to you and said, I want what's in your box? What if God came to you and said, let me take a look in your box. There's some things that I want to take. Well, what if God came to you and said, give me your box. I want all of it. The question today is, is he worthy of the most precious, the most valuable, The things that mean the most to me, is God worthy of those things? That's the message today. If God came to you and said, I want what's in your box, would I be willing, would you be willing to allow him to have whatever's in that box? What if God asked for my family? What if God asked for my children? What if God asked for my savings account? What if God asked for my hobby? What if God asked for that job? Would I be willing to allow God to have what's in my box. We just read this account of this woman. How many? This is one of your favorite stories in the Bible, this woman with the alabaster. I love this story. It's, it's not a story, it's a historical account that took place. I love it. It's such a wonderful uh, description that Christ gives to us. And this woman comes to this, this feast where these Pharisees are, and Jesus is there, and the disciples come, and this woman brings her box. And it's not made of cardboard, Brother Asprelli. It's an alabaster box. It's a very expensive box. And inside of the box, in Mark, it tells us that it's a substance called spikenard, which is a very expensive ointment. As a matter of fact, if you study this out, you'll find that it's 300 pence, which is about a year's wages for someone in that time period. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't have a year's wages to spend on anything. And she comes to this, this feast with this box and she breaks the box and she pours a year's worth of wages onto the feet of Jesus. Why does she do this? Why does she take this whole amount of money, this worth? Why? Because he was worthy. That's a good place to say amen right there. Because he was worthy. Because he was worthy. She poured it out. There are several, many powerful lessons we could draw out of this, but I want to give you three today. The first lesson, number one, is we see the perspective of waste. The perspective of waste. I want to give you two different perspectives here. Let's go to Luke chapter number seven and let's look at verse uh, verse 39 of Luke chapter number seven and look at verse 39 with me. Look at the perspective here of the Pharisee. So let's let our B is the Pharisees' perspective. <clears throat> look at uh, Luke chapter number 7, look at verse 39. Now when the who Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself. Of course he doesn't say it out loud, but he says within himself, this man Jesus, if he was really a prophet, if he really knew uh, who this woman was, if he had known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. He thought within himself, surely Jesus doesn't know uh, who this woman is. And certainly if he knew, he wouldn't let her touch him. I see the Pharisees' perspective here is that this woman was a waste of Jesus' time. She was a waste. Here this Pharisee is. He's all high and mighty. He's got his pedigree. He's got his righteous works. And I notice here what he says about the woman. The first thing he says is, this woman is a sinner. So apparently apparently Simon doesn't realize that he's a sinner. How many understand today that we're all sinners? From the back of the road to the front of this auditorium, we're all sinners. And all God's people said, amen. amen to that. We're all sinners. We're all in that same boat. And Simon looks at this woman, and of course, we could go into the context of what he means by sinner, but let's not even go there. The fact is, is that she was a sinner, but the fact is is so was Simon. You see, the Pharisee's perspective is, why is Jesus wasting his time on this woman? If he knew who she really was, he wouldn't, he wouldn't waste his time on her. And the Pharisee's perspective is, she was not good enough to worship the Savior. Jesus was wasting his time on her. The truth is today, if we're honest, we all have a little bit of Pharisee in us. If someone doesn't measure up to our standards or someone doesn't fall into the category that we think that they should be, we are tempted to think within ourselves, they're a waste of time. The truth is, is that someone might have thought that about you at one time. And all God's people said, the sober truth is this morning that you might feel that way about yourself. Why would Jesus waste his time on me? You might've put everything in that box and, your, and and even your life and you might think to yourself, I am nothing, I am worth nothing to God. But the truth is this morning that while the Pharisee might say that you're not good enough and what's in your box isn't good enough, when Jesus looks at you, he says, I died on the cross for you. Jesus didn't die for the righteous man. He died for the sinner and you are not a waste of his time. I don't care who you are this morning. The truth is, is that while we may not feel good enough and while we may feel like, God, why would you even pay attention to me? Why would you ever use me? God, Jesus died on the cross for you. You see, Satan tries to lie to us. He's the accuser of the brethren, is he not? You're not good enough. You're not good enough. He doesn't want you. You're a waste. You're a waste. Your life has been a waste. And Jesus Jesus doesn't feel that way about you. And he doesn't feel that way about me. And you might be a waste in somebody else's eyes, but you are a precious thing in the eyes of Christ. You see, Jesus has a plan for your life. He uses the broken. He uses the weak. He uses the foolish things. And the Pharisee might say, you're not good enough. But Jesus says, yes, you are. I'll make you whole. The Pharisee says, uh, uh, what you have in your box isn't good enough for Jesus. He, it's a waste of time. But Jesus says, I'll take your broken pieces. The Pharisee says, I'm glad. I'm glad I'm not like her. I'm so glad that I am as, I am as righteous as I am. I'm so glad I'm not like her. And Jesus says, oh no, I'm going to take you who's bowed before me and I'm going to make you a daughter. I'm going to make you my own son. I'm going to make you join heirs with me. The Pharisee might say, you're a nobody, but Jesus says, you're my son. The Pharisee might say, if you only knew who was touching you, you wouldn't have anything to do with her. She's a waste of your time. And Jesus says, I know exactly who she is. I want to say something to you this morning. Jesus knows exactly who you are. Say, I'm not good enough. Oh, no. No. <laughs> Yes, we're sinners and yes, we fail. And yes, we want to try to live righteous and holy as best as we can. But as much as we try and as much as we do our best, the more that we fail. How many of you have ever read the diary, the works and diary of David Brainerd? Anybody ever read that? Powerful. David Brainerd was a missionary to the Indians in Delaware And he wrote about his sin. And boy, it makes you feel convicted when you read about this man who's given up everything about how convicted he is of sin in his life. The truth is this morning that the closer we become to God, the closer we get to God, the holier, quote unquote, that we get, the more sinful we realize we are. Oh, Jesus wants you. You stand in him forgiven. The Pharisee says, you'll never amount to anything. And Jesus says, I've given you everything. Oh, my friends, the grace and love of Christ. For by grace are you saved through what, church? Faith. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, Simon thought he was going to heaven because Simon thought because of my good works, I'm a Pharisee, I'm good enough. But this woman, she's a sinner. You and I, there's nobody in this room going to go to heaven because of our own works. No, no, no. It's only because of the grace of God in our life. For by grace are you saved through faith. You see, this woman wasn't a waste of Jesus' time because Jesus died on the cross for her, just like he died on the cross for you and for me. I want to show you a different perspective. So we see the, the Pharisee's perspective is she's a waste of time. But I want to show you the, the Pharisees. Go to Matthew chapter number 26. Oh, Don't miss this. This is so interesting. Look at Matthew chapter number 26. Look at verse 6. Notice how the, notice how the disciples reacted to this scene. So the Pharisee says, She's a waste. If you knew who that was, but notice how the disciples reacted. Look at verse six. Now, when Jesus was in Bethany, the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment and poured it over his head. But when the disciples saw it, they had what? Indignation. To what purpose is this waste was their response? For this ointment could have been sold for much. You see, the Pharisee might look at you and they might look in your box and they might say, that's not good enough for Jesus. The disciples might look in your box and say, Jesus isn't good enough for your box. I want you to let this sink in for a second. The disciples whom Jesus called, these men whom he brought up out of the miry clay, these men who had followed him and watched him heal the blind and feed the the 5,000, these men uh, who are with Christ, they said that what that woman did was a waste. She, it wasn't good enough. He was Jesus wasn't good enough for that. It was a waste. Isn't that what they ch- said, church? Look at verse 8. But well, when his disciples saw it, they were filled with indignation to what purpose is this waste? Indignation means extreme anger, mingled with contempt. They were disgusted by this waste, this precious ointment they thought could have been used for something greater than Christ. It was too much of a price for Christ. The price was too high for him. You see, they could have sold this and done some greater good with it. It was a waste. Now, I know we cringe at that thought to think that these men would say that, but lest we be filled with pride, and lest we think ourselves of a superior character to these disciples, may I just ask you this morning, is there anything in your box that he isn't worthy of? Is there a treasure in my box that's too valuable for him? This woman brought a year's salary. Think about that. I don't know what your salary is in a year. I'm sure somewhere in the median, I mean, some people here make 25,000 a year, some people make 50,000, some people make 100, some people make 200,000 a year. That's a lot of money. And she brought a year's salary. And she gave it to Jesus. And the disciple said, "He isn't worthy of that. That's a waste." This brings me to my second point. We see the perception of worth. Look at verse 10. Jesus understood what they said. You understand that Jesus is God? How many understand that today? You understand that Jesus knows what's going on in here? We may never say it out loud, but he knows our hearts. He knows when we think inside of our hearts, he's not worthy of that. And notice this, he says, he understood it. And he said, why trouble ye this woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. This story of this woman who breaks the box and gives it to Jesus. She brings the most expensive, the most precious, the most wonderful thing that she owns in her life. And she doesn't do it for any reason other than he is worthy. You see, she wasn't giving to buy a bus and she wasn't giving to build a building. She didn't want her name on a plaque. She wasn't looking for recognition. She simply brought all that she had to Jesus because he was worthy, because he is worthy. And I'm not against a plaque and I'm not against giving to a bus. Praise God, we're picking up a bus. I'm not against those things. I think we ought to do those things. But she had no alternative motive in mind. It was simply to give because he was worthy of it. Jesus gives us the perfect illustration of the creditor and the debtors. One owed 500 pence. That would have been more than a year's salary, almost two years' salary. The other owed 50. They were both forgiven. And Jesus asks, who uh, who loves uh, Mo? And I want you to look at verse 44. Notice what Jesus says. He turns to the woman and he says to Simon, I, I love that. He looks at the woman and he says to Simon, Seest this woman, I entered into thy house. And you didn't give me any water for my feet. And she washes my feet with her tears. Of course, a woman's hair is very precious to her. and She wipes his dirty, filthy feet with her hair. And then he says, you gave, verse 45, you gave me no kiss. We learned from our missionary to the Middle East that men kiss each other. Aren't you glad you're American? You can say amen to that. Brother John, I ain't never kissing you, bro. He said, that's good. We don't, we, don't, we don't kiss each other here, but in those cultures, it's a sign of honor to kiss a, a man, to kiss another man when he comes into the home. I can't even wrap my brain around that, but that's what they do. He says, you gave me no kiss. You didn't show me any honor. But this woman, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. My head, it, it was customary to anoint their head with oil. He said, you didn't do that. But this woman anointed my feet, and wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many. How many fall in that category? Her sin, which is many, are forgiven. for She loved much. You see, it wasn't that Simon and this woman's sins were any different. It wasn't that her sins were much and his sins were little. That's not the point. The point is, is that she recognized that her sins were forgiven. She recognized what Jesus did for her on the cross. And Simon didn't. He couldn't see it. You see, she looked at her debt. She realized her sin debt and how much that debt was worth. She realized that she could never repay the sin debt. She would never be good enough. She could never do enough goods. She realized that Jesus paid the debt, and there was nothing that she could do. But Simon, for some reason, thought he was good enough to pay for his own sin debt. And she said, or Jesus said about her, she loves me much because she realizes what I did for her, what I'm going to do for her. Christians, I want to ask you this morning, have you forgotten what Jesus has done for you? I don't know about you, but my sin debt was great. My debt was so high I could not pay. There is no amount of work that I could have done. I could have done every good deed. I could try my best. I could do good works. I could follow all the things that I could try to follow, try to pray and try to, but there's not enough good works that I could do. And so I recognize how far down Jesus came to save me. How much of your debt did Christ pay? How much do you owe in return? Is he worthy of what's in your box? Here's some practical illustrations. I think about a, maybe a lady or a man who comes to church by themselves. They do their best to come to church and attend faithfully, and they're doing their best, but their husband or their wife who doesn't come with them is filled with indignation at their faithfulness. They can't understand why their spouse would waste, waste so much time at church. How could you waste your time there? Don't you realize that you could be doing something that you want to do? Don't you realize that there's other things to do? Why are you wasting your time? I think about a young couple who, against all the odds, starts to tithe or maybe they start to give to missions and they're taking that step of faith and that journey and a 10% seems like so much and that's such a, a large chunk of their income, but they they take a step of faith and they 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 start giving to missions or whatever the case might be and their family finds out about it or their parents find out about it and they say to them, how could you waste so much money at that church? How could you waste your money doing that? Don't you realize you could have a house? Don't you realize you could have a car? Don't you realize you could do something else? Why are you wasting your money on God? I think about a young person who sits in a youth conference or a college chapel or maybe in a service like this and God fills their heart to serve in the ministry. Maybe go to the mission field. And they feel that tug, that that slight tug of God. And and so they go home and they tell their parents, mom, dad, I think God might want me to be on the mission field. I think God might want to call me to the ministry. And the parents are filled with indignation and say, what are you talking about? What do you mean called to the ministry? What do you mean called to the mission field? You have too much potential. Don't waste your life. I know some family members have said that to my dad when he was called to the ministry. You're going to waste your life. I want to tell you something this morning. And I hope you catch this today. There is nothing in my box and there is nothing in your box that is a waste when you give it to God. And all God's people said, there is nothing in your box There is nothing too precious for Him. Not even my very own life. Not the life of my kids. Not the life of my family. Not my money. Not my house. Not my job. Not my car. Not my friends. There is nothing in my box that He is not worthy of. He is worthy. Take your Bibles, please, and go to Matthew chapter number 16. Matthew chapter number 16. I know this is a strong... Message for a Sunday morning, but this is what God put on my heart. uh, Matthew chapter number 16, look at verse 24. Jesus, uh, Jesus says to his disciples, if any man will what? Come after me. Listen, Jesus is talking to people who want to follow him. How many here want to follow the Lord? These people wanted to follow Christ and says, if any man wants to do that, if you want to come after me, let him what? Deny himself and take up his cross. and Follow me. Because for whosoever shall, what? You can't have it, God. You can't have my life. You can't have what's in my box. For whosoever shall save his life shall what, church? So what? Young people, for whosoever shall save his life shall what? Lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. We understand in the context of salvation, For what profit a man who shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul. In the context of salvation, you could have everything in the world. You could have cars and money and houses and anything that you want, but you need salvation. Because as I preach about tonight, you're not taking anything with you. Here's what Job said. Naked came I into the world, and guess what? Naked, I'm leaving the world. You're not taking a dime with you, but you better have your ticket. And all God's people said... Amen. You better accept Christ as your Savior. We understand that, but also in the context of our life, he says, if you want to follow me, deny yourself and take up your cross. You see, it's not a waste to give God what's in your box. Let me say that again. It's never a waste to give God what's in your box. It's a waste to keep it. Too many Christians are trying to follow Christ, carrying their boxes full of precious possessions. And it's time that some Christians just decide that I'm not going to keep carrying this box around. I'm going to lay it down at the feet of Jesus. I'm going to put down my box. I'm going to empty it out for Him. And I'm going to pick up my cross. You can't carry the cross with your hands full. Isn't that what Jesus said? You cannot serve God and mammon. Is Christ worthy? Sometimes God takes things out of our box that we weren't expecting. I kind of mashed this box a little bit, hugging it so hard. But sometimes God comes to us and he pulls things out of our box we weren't anticipating. Sometimes it hurts, doesn't it? But he's worthy. I said he's worthy. Sometimes God comes to us and says, and we offer him things. Oh, God, I'll give you this. And he says, no, I don't want that. God, here, I'll get a good job and I'll give as much money as I can to the church. And God says, I don't want that. I want your life. I'm not trying to criticize you if you've said this before because I've said it. I'm going to make as much money as I can. I'm going to give as much money to the church as I can. But that's not what God wanted from me. He wanted my life. I hope you understand and I I hope I'm communicating this properly. God doesn't need what's in our box. You see, Brother Esprella, if you're not willing to give me what's in your box, God can get it from anywhere else. It's not about what's in our box. It's about me coming to him and saying, God, here's my box. Take whatever you want. I surrender all, all to thee. Young people, look at your pastor. All you young people, some of you guys are like, when is he gonna be quiet? I'm ready to eat. Look at your pastor. Listen, the best thing you could do in your life, listen to your pastor, please, is take him your box. Yes, some of you have great potential. I mean, all of you do. That sounded mean. <laughs> some of you guys, some of you, I don't know. Uh, no, all of you have potential. Yeah, you could be a doctor. Sure. Be a lawyer. Whatever. Be the president. Of course. You have great potential. And maybe that's what God wants for your life, is to be the president. We could use a godly president in 2048, whenever you're that old. But you know what the best thing you could do? Say, here, Lord. There's nothing in the You can have everything. He is worthy. Is Christ worthy? Of your life? Is he worthy of your time? Is he worthy of your family? Is he worthy of your hobbies? Is he worthy of your finances? Is he worthy of your pride? Is he worthy of your preferences? Is he worthy of your comfort? Is he worthy of your life to you? We see the perspective of waste. We see the perception of worth. And then we see the posture of worship. I believe that what this woman was doing was worshiping Christ. She came to that feast that day and she came to worship him. She didn't come to accomplish anything other than to worship him because he was worthy. And I want us to notice several things that she did, and maybe it'll help us and I'll be done. Look at verse 38 of Luke chapter seven. And she stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet. We see an act of worship here, a wonderful act of worship. And if there's something that we could do more, it's worship the Lord. And all God's people said, and may I just say, listen, you might have different preferences than I do. You might have a different view of worship than I do in some ways, but I just don't know that worshiping is is dancing around and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Worship is very specific. And look at what happens here. This is what she does. Three things. Number one, we see that worship is done. It's a bringing position, a bringing position. And behold, the woman of the city, which was a sinner, and she knew that Jesus sat at meat with the Pharisees. And what did she do? She brought an alabaster box with her. Anytime we come to the Lord to worship, we should bring him our best. And all God's people said, amen. amen. How many of you remember the dating years? Anybody remember it? That means, you know, you were going on dates trying to get married. I remember those years, all right? You remember, that? you remember when you went on your first date? Maybe this is a long time ago for some of you, but you went on your first date. Did you wear the worst outfit that you had did you go to, you know, uh, uh, Goodwill and find something? No. You put on the best outfit. Maybe you went out and bought a new outfit, and boy, you got your hair just right. Daniel, remember those days? Just kidding. <laughs> He's like, what? Uh, you got your hair just right. You brushed your teeth. You had breath mints, and uh, hopefully, and uh, uh, you went to the nice restaurant, and you put on your best behavior. Why? You're bringing your what? Your best. You understand when we come before Christ, we ought to bring him our best, we should bring him the very best, the most that we can, the worthy. He is worthy of my best, not my second best, not the leftovers, not the hand downs He is worthy of the best that I have, the very best. This is why we worship him on the first day of the week, first thing. This is why we should give him the first part of our day. For some of you, that's at night. For some of you, it's in the afternoon, but to give him the first part of your day. That's why we give him the first fruits of our increase, because he deserves our best. Oftentimes, and too often, we come to Christ with our hands like this. Hands open, palms up. God, I need, I need, and how many have needs? I do. Well, listen, we ought to come to Christ with our hands full, bringing him our best, I see this is a bringing position. Secondly, letter B, I see it's a broken position. Take your Bibles and go to Mark chapter 14. I'm almost done. I know some of you are ready for in and out today. Mark chapter number 14, verse number three. Notice here, and being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, he sat at meat. And there came a woman again with an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. And she what, church? She break the box. And poured it out on his head. Again, verse 4, And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why is this waste of the ointment made? For it could have been sold for more than 300 pence and been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. Mark tells of this ointment and how much it's worth. It's worth a year's salary. He tells it's very costly. But she doesn't just take the ointment and unscrew the top and pour a little bit on the Lord. Screw the lid back on and put it back in her purse. That's not what she did. She took out the ointment, she broke it, and she poured it out because she realized and recognized that God deserves our all. He is worthy of my all, everything. Partial surrender is not worship. Let me say that again. Partial surrender is not worship. I surrender some is not worship. I surrender most of everything. God, no, you can have this and this, but I'm going to keep this for me, and I'm going to keep that. That is not worship. Partial surrender is a breaking. God, you can have everything. For those of you today that are worried about breaking what you have for God, let me just encourage you. 2,000 years ago, this woman did this, and we're still talking about it. There is nothing that you can break for the Lord that he's not going to give you times times, and times and times again. How many understand what I'm saying? You might be worried, I don't want to break my life. I don't want to give, I don't want to, I don't want to go. I don't want to break, I don't want to do that. I want to keep this portion. I want to, listen, if you break it and you give it to the Lord, he'll give it back to you times and times and times again. But you got to be willing to break it. Lastly today, I see that worship is done, not in just a bringing and a broken, but in a bowing position. She stood at his feet weeping. She began to wipe his what with her tears. I don't know if you have ever kissed someone's feet. I don't know that I've ever done that. But in this society, people didn't wear Air Jordans. They wore sandals. There was no indoor plumbing. There was outdoor latrines. They had animals and mules and everything pulling ox carts, getting their, uh, their leaking oil all over the ground, if you know what I mean. And Jesus and his disciples were walking everywhere and the dust and the fecal matter and the and everything that's in the ground is all over their feet. If you remember, the guy didn't wash Jesus' feet when he came in. And She gets down and these filthy, disgusting, dirty feet of our Savior, she begins to wipe with her hair. Brother Asperly, would you stand up? So many of us come to church like this. We come to church with a sense of pride in who we are. I've done good this week. I didn't sin as much as I did last week. I have my Bible, and we have this sense of pride. But well, worship is coming before Jesus. And you know, if I'm going to kiss Brother Asprelli's feet, which, spoiler alert, I'm not going to do. <laughs> but if I'm going to come before him and I'm going to kiss his feet, i got a long way to go from here. I'm not just going to get down on one knee, like I did when I proposed to my beautiful wife, and I will not propose to you. <laughs> I'm not just going to get down on both knees or both hands and both knees, but I got to get my, my face all the way down here. To kiss his foot, I'd have to put my forehead down to the ground. You see, when we come before God in worship, it's in a bowing position. He is worthy. He is worthy. He's worthy for me to kiss his feet. I said he's worthy for me to kiss his feet. He's worthy for me to get on my hands and my knees and press my forehead against the ground and say, God, you are worthy of my worship. There's nothing good about me. And I have news for you. (laughs) There's nothing good about any of us. And we would do well to come before God and say, God, here's my box. I don't have much in my box, but I, I do have a family. I do have four boys. I do have a spouse, and those are the most precious things to me, my parents. These are the most precious things, and, and I have a little bit of things that I like, but you know what? It's yours. It's all yours. Take what you want. You can have what you want. Why? Why, church family? Because he's worthy. Every head bowed and every eye closed today.